We are in uh, 1 Corinthians, and um, uh, chapter 7, and uh, I'm, I guess I'm, if I'm honest with you, this is probably a, um, probably in some ways where I feared getting to when I approached 1 Corinthians. Uh, dealing with marriage, not because I don't like marriage, probably one of the, I don't want you to hear that, Karen, um, not because, I, I love to teach on marriage, I, I was blessed and graced to teach a class at Idlewild and be involved in a class for about six years, and I was talking to a buddy of mine who, who lives up in Asheville, and was a part of that class for a while, and that was probably one of those times in my life that I'll cherish more than anything. Relationships and friendships and getting to teach on marriage every week, getting to relate the Word of God to marriage. That's not why I kind of fear coming to this part of this text. It's, uh, I dread it because of what the world has made marriage. I dread it because uh, the world that we live in how it's affected our marriages, how it's belittled marriage, how it's uh, attacked the very fibers, the very fabric of what marriage is to be. I dread it because if we're honest, even within the church, we've bought in, in many ways, to the world's view of marriage. We've bought in to, to how they relate to marriage, what they say marriage is, what they say it isn't, uh, just everything about it. We, we've, we've, been, we've become casual with it. We, we've removed the gospel from the center of it. We, we've replaced the gospel with our own happiness. Mar marriage has become more about a means to my happiness than it is to God's glory. We... we, we when we're not happy anymore, we're, we just move on and find somebody else. And, and we're, we're quick to run to solutions to just to get out versus oftentimes work through. And, and as I say that, that's part of the reason why I fear this. If you know me, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to be happy. I, I, every, every Sunday before I get up here, especially on these difficult passages, I'm, I'm anxious. You think I'm sneezing or coughing. It's really anxiety. I appreciate some of you have gotten me water. Water really, it's not the water. It's not a dryness of throat. It's called anxiety. Because I'm a people pleaser. And, and I will tell you, one of the hardest things I did was leaving the comfort of, of Idlewild and that class that we were involved in to come here. And yet this is an even greater joy. Pastoring this church is even a greater joy. I love what we're doing here. I love what God is doing through us, in us, with us. I'm humbled by the fact that He would allow me to do this, to do this through me. 
I, I love the camaraderie, the, the unity, the fellowship that's here. And, and the, the fear is I don't want to do anything personally, but I don't want to give Satan any, uh, any opportunity to destroy what's going on here. And when you come to difficult passages like this, it's if just being vulnerable, it's my personal fears and insecurities that Satan would use Speaking into people's lives, calling sin, sin, challenging you, challenging me. That he would use that to disrupt what God is doing here. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, my flesh, I, I, wish, I wish I could come to you with something different. I, I wish that I could come to you... Uh, with different convictions about the, what the Word of God says here. And, and right or wrong, I'm just, just being vulnerable with you. I, I, have, I, I will tell you on the front end, I don't say this out of arrogance. I don't say this out of pride. I simply am telling you, I, I have probably studied this topic and I have studied the passages regarding this topic more than any other in the Word of God. I don't say that, that does not make me infallible. Doesn't make me right. Doesn't make me a bon, a, an expert. Doesn't, make me, doesn't mean I can't be wrong and open to correction. But it does mean I've taken an honest look at the Scriptures. It does mean I haven't looked at them based on my situation I haven't looked at them based on my family member's situation. I haven't looked at them based on my friend's situation and then said what would they wanted to hear. There's a lot of disagreement over what the Bible teaches about divorce and remarriage and marriage and all that. There's disagreement. And hear me, I'm comfortable. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I can walk hand in hand with somebody that disagrees with me, to a certain extent. I, I'm okay with that. If you disagree with me and, and what I'm going to put forth, by the way, we're, we're not going to deal with chapter 7 today. We're not going to deal with it. We're, we're going to deal with some foundational things about marriage first, before we get into that. But if you disagree with me, it, it, that's okay. Hear me. It doesn't impact my love for you. It doesn't impact the way that I'll serve you. It doesn't impact the way that I come alongside of you. Listen, I, I know your stories. And, and I may not have walked the same road you have. I may not have taken the same path you've taken to get to where you are. But it hasn't, nor will it ever, impact my love for you. It won't impact the way I come alongside of you and try to serve you. It, it, it won't. Godly people that I love and that I respect, they differ on this. And, and, and again, I will do everything, no matter how you've arrived here today, please know that I will do everything in my power as we walk forward. I'll serve you as hard as I can serve you. And here's the goal. So that our, the sin that maybe we've done in the past and maybe that we disagree with the past doesn't happen in the future. Where, however you've gotten here... Guess what? God's love is waiting for you right here, will meet you right here, and it will walk you through the tomorrows. And I promise you, I will, to the best of my ability, walk with those through you, walk through those with you. We're going to disagree. We're going to disagree. 
What, what I do know is this. I, I'm not the judge of the Bible. Okay, I'm not the judge of the Bible. God is the judge. And he sent his son Jesus onto the scene, and his son explained what is right, what is wrong, what is freedom, what is sin, what, how to glorify him, and what doesn't. Nobody in here, hear me, you don't have to answer to me. You're, you're not going to answer to me. I don't have a corner on the truth, I'm not an expert. There's more about this word that I don't know than what I do in many regards. But here's the reality. We will all have to answer to Jesus one day for how we've lived our lives. We will stand before Jesus and have to explain how we lived and why we lived the way that we lived. So, so I'm going to do what I can do to, to the best of my ability to explain what Jesus says knowing as much as I can possibly muster in my studies. But, but if you decide to agree with, to disagree with that, and you decide to hold something different, you have not gone against me. Hear me, we're not enemies because of that. Because I'm not the judge. And I'm telling you, what Satan wants to do is divide us and make us enemies against one another. We are pursuing the truth of God's Word, and I'm simply telling you, to the best of my abilities, prayerfully, as, as hard as I can pursue the truth of the Word of God, I, I'm doing that. But know this, we will all stand before Jesus one day, and so because of that, I want to be serious about what the Word of God says. I want to be serious in my studies of what the Word of God says. I want to be tr careful not to transgress the Bible. I want to be careful not to twist the Bible. I want to be careful not to distort the Bible. We have to study it diligently. We can't simply look for what we want it to say, grab that verse, and then just run with it. We can't do it. And I realize, again, marriage and divorce and remarriage and all these topics, they evoke tremendous emotion. People feel very, very strongly about it. And there's disagreement in the church over it, much to our hurt, much to our hurt. And so, as I, as I thought about this, as I prayed about this, trust me, long ago, long ago, I was relieved when we could take a month off in December to study something else. I was like, hey, that's one more month, we don't have to get to chapter 7. You know, one more month, but we don't have to get to chapters 12 and 14 and 13. I mean, as I thought about how to approach this topic, I, the few hairs that I have left on my head, they have departed. More and more have departed. Sleepless nights. It, it was not a problem to stay up and watch the game till 2 o'clock because I'm up till 2 o'clock anyway thinking about how to present this stuff. How to share it gracefully but yet truthfully. And so before we, before we jump into chapter 7, I, I want to speak to marriage and its foundations first. I, I want to answer some questions about marriage first. But before, you know... Before we start talking about, about dissolving something or not dissolving something and read dot, 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 we need to understand what it is we're dealing with first. Because if we don't understand what it is we're dealing with, we're going to come up with, we'll answer those questions differently if we don't know what it is. And I want to give, I originally planned on answering all four, I have four questions, I originally intended on answering all four of these today, but as I continually studied throughout the week and, and continue to pursue it, 
It just isn't going to happen. So on your handout, we're only going to study questions one and two, if that. We'll deal with the other two later, and then we'll get to, really, it's just a, it's just opportunity. No, I, trust me, I'm not just putting it off. There's just a lot here, and it's heavy. And I don't want to back a dump truck of stuff up on you and dump it on you and then leave. Let's, let's, let's gradually do this stuff. Let's go through it gradually. Let's discuss it. Let's chew on it. But, but here's the deal. Let's deal with it truthfully. Let's not let our feelings get in the way and our emotions get in the way and what seems fair or what seems right or what others said or what, other, what our experience says. Let's rely on what the Bible says. And so before we jump in, remember, if you don't, if you don't learn anything from my walk here at Odessa, context, context, context. Chapter 7 is in a context. Okay, we just looked at chapter 6 last week. We finished chapter 6. And by the way, I, I, I had some good conversations with some individuals um, who, who keep their kids in the services and that. And if, and if I, in, in dealing with that topic, if I cause you to have to have conversations with your children that you hadn't had before, I do apologize. It, I tried to be as gracious as I could with, with dealing with that, with that chapter. And so I apologize if you maybe had to have some conversations with your children sooner than you had anticipated having some conversations. So, uh, but chapter 7 falls immediately after chapter 6. And what did we look at in chapter 6? Look at verses 12, verse 12 of chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Hear me, that's the context. The, the question applies in chapter 7 as well. The question, the, the right question is not, can I end my marriage? The right question becomes, should I? In relation to what we're going to see, should I? We'll deal with the can I. First we have to get by the should I. You might, but should you? You might be able to, but is that the best thing for the gospel? Remember, is it profitable for the gospel for us to, to, to dissolve our marriages? Is it profitable for the gospel? It, it, can we honestly say that that's to the glory of God, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Therefore you have been brought by a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Can't you question, you, you've got to ask yourself, can I honestly say I'm doing this to the glory of God? Since I've been bought with a price, since I'm to glorify God in my body, does this represent God most accurately? Is this the best representation of God that I can pursue in my life? Th these are some of the questions that need to be worked out. Paul, Paul doesn't just write this chapter here on accident. This chapter is here on purpose. He just asks some very, very key questions. I mean, immediately in chapter 7, he's going to immediately say, Hey, you've been bought with a price. Guess what, woman? Your body isn't your body, and man, your, ma your body isn't your body. That right there is countercultural. When we get to that... Our flesh ain't going to want to hear that. Karen, your body belongs to me, and guess what? My body, what's left of it, belongs to you. Stam, easy on the laughing there, Stam. Come on now. Save that for afterwards. Come on, that was, she laughed way too quick on that one. Just kidding, Stam. And please know, it, it falls in the context. And so what I want to do is I want to answer, over the next few weeks, I want to answer a couple questions. 
Number one, I want to answer, ask, today I want to ask the question, answer the question, what is marriage? First of all, I want to answer the question, what is marriage? That's, going to, that's your, that's your fill-in, what is marriage? Secondly, I want to answer the question, who designed marriage? Who designed marriage? Who, that, that matters. Who designed marriage? Why did he design it the way he did? Thirdly, I want to ask, what was mar- why was marriage designed the way it was designed? Why was it designed the way it was designed? Fourthly, based on those questions and those answers, I want to answer the question, okay, based upon that, should we be so quick to end our marriages? Should we be so casual to want to away from our marriages? Should we? Not can we, should we? Should we? So the first question, again, what is marriage? What is marriage? That's the first question I want to deal with. And we're going to be in Ephesians 5. If you want to, if you want to turn over to Ephesians 5, we're going to be all over. Like I said, we're not dealing with 1 Corinthians 7 right now. We'll, we'll deal with that, Lord willing, later. Maybe the rapture occur before then for various reasons. But before we, go, before we go any further, uh, like I said, we need to understand what marriage is. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we, we live in a society that has degraded marriage in so many ways to the point that very little of what the Bible puts forth as truth still remains. From, from the very things of, of what it means to be married, from, from the question of why do we marry, from the question of what is marriage about, from the point of who can get married, all of that, we, we have so departed from what the Bible says. We, that's the society we live in. All of those have been completely ripped away from the biblical truth, from the biblical meaning, and, and that's inside and outside the church. Hear me, this is not an outside the church issue. This is an inside the church issue. The success rates, the failure rates of marriage inside and outside the church almost mirror each other. They mirror each other. That's not good. Because we're going to see, whether we admit it or not, whether we realize it or not, we're making a statement to the world about who our God is when that's happening. We're making a statement. We're telling the world about our great God when we do that. And not only that, our, as because of that, the gospel is suffering. Our testimony before a lost world is potentially suffering. The greatness and the power of God that's available to us is suffering. Suffering. The, the other day I was, I was watching a TV show and I, and I thought about this as I was watching it. Um, I, actually, I turned the TV on, and, and it, it was already on this channel for whatever reason. I, I'd never, ever watched this channel. Uh, I mean, 99% of my TV watching is Channel 570. That's ESPN. And, and it, we, we had Bright House, and this is dist- distracting, but we had Bright House, and you could program it, so every time the TV was turned on, it would automatically turn on to Channel 570. Clearly, Karen did not program that way. I did. Well, now, with Verizon, whatever reason that is, if anybody has any contacts with Verizon, fix that. You, it comes on whatever the last channel was. So evident, obviously our kids were watching something. And this, this TV show, and, and they, these people have these things. They don't know what they are. They just 
they got them from a family member, or they found them, or they inherited them, and they're bringing them to these people and saying, hey, what is this? What is this? I don't know what it is. They don't know what it's worth. They don't know if they should keep it. They don't know if they should chunk it. And I was watching it, and the first thing, there was this purse made out of beads. It was hideous. And this guy is talking about all this history and all this stuff, and he says, yeah, if you want to sell that, that would get you about $12,000. I was like, what? $12,000? So, you know, the next thing, this person brings this painting, and I, I'm as serious as I can be. It looked like something Bradley would have done in kindergarten. It was awful. And this guy's talking about, you know, it was signed. This is, this, this is one of his original works, and dot, 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 and all this history. And, and the lady's like, yeah, I'm about to give it to my son. I really don't like it. It doesn't match anything. The guy says, well, it's about a $150,000 painting. All of a sudden, that's like, ooh, my son's not getting this. He's not getting this one. We'll give him something else. You know, but, but they're, they're, they didn't know the purpose of the object they were looking at. They didn't know who designed it. They don't know when it was designed. They didn't know what it was used for. And guess what? Their value of it shrunk. But the second you bring in somebody who knew what they were talking about, and this guy's like, oh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, all of a sudden they're getting excited, and it's like, oh, well, I have a $150,000 painting here that I was about to throw away. And guess what? Now, because they understand who designed it, they understand who made it, they understand the purpose it was made for, they understand, therefore, the intrinsic value in that object, guess what? They're guarding it with all their life. What was just kind of a trivial little ugly little purse made out of beads. Now all of a sudden they're like, put that thing in a safe. Guard it with all of your life. It's $12,000. All of a sudden what they were willing to sell or give away, now they treasure. And it all had to do with the truth. It all had to do with the, with the designer. It all had to do with the purpose. And every, what once was junk became treasure because of one thing. This was the one common denominator in all of that. The, the, what was once seen as junk was, all became, was really treasure because of one person, who de, one thing, who designed it. Whether it was the purse, who made it? Painting, who painted it? changed everything about the value of that piece of that object the creator changed everything about it and in many ways marriages like this and that that impacted me when i was watching that that impacted how we're dealing with it. look at me at ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33 wives be subject to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And here's the key passage. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Paul was saying there about marriage? See, it's not about me. God didn't design this about me. Long ago, when, when God thought of marriage and when God brought Eve to Adam, He wasn't thinking about me. He wasn't thinking about my happiness. He wasn't thinking about anything else. You know what He was thinking about? He was thinking about Jesus Christ and His relationship to the church. And marriage, marriage, these verses teach us that marriage is a parable of Christ and His church. That's the fill-in. For those of you on this side, I'm going to try to be real clear. That's the parable. That's the fill-in-the-blank since you don't have your TV. In case you can't see that one over there because of the angle. God designed marriage to be a parable of Christ and His church. What, what, what is a parable? Uh, marriage is a picture. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, His Son, and His bride, the church. My marriage to Karen is telling is God is telling the world something the truth of the reality of Jesus Christ now how he loves his bride through Chris Basham and how he loves Karen Basham He could have designed marriage any way he wanted and instead he designed marriage to be a living visible picture of Jesus Christ's relationship to his bride the church and what we learn about marriage from Ephesians 5 is that marriage was designed by God to be a display of the covenant-keeping love between God and His people. My, my marriage to Karen and working through the struggles and dealing with all this stuff was to be a picture, a living, breathing, visible picture of how Jesus Christ relates to His church. How Karen submits to me, as difficult as that may be many times, is a picture of the church and how it relates to Christ. The, the, the reality of that, the conclusion of that is this. I can never have an attitude towards marriage that is high enough. I, I can never think too highly of my marriage. I can never give of myself too much to Karen. You see, if I could, that could become idolatry. But guess what? I, it won't happen. I've never met a man who loved his wife too much. I've met far too many men who didn't love their wife enough. I, I've never met a woman who submitted to their husband enough to where it was idolatry. Quite the opposite. See, our marriages are a picture. God's love for us is beyond compare. And he says, you know what, husband? You go love your wife in the same way. Hey, wives, you submit to your husbands. You know why you're doing that? Because you're painting a picture of the Christ, of church and how it relates to Christ. That's the picture. I, I portray Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not a Christ. I am not Karen's Christ. I'm a picture Karen plays the role of the church. 
See, the challenge is we can't trivialize marriage. We can't attack marriage without at the same time attacking the gospel. Because it is a picture of Jesus Christ and how he loves his bride. And, and hear me, this goes for every marriage. Okay? This isn't just believer's marriage. This is believer's marriage. This is non-believer's marriage. It goes, even if the couple doesn't know God, even if the couple doesn't care about God, even if the couple doesn't give one thought to God when they say, I do, marriage was designed to be a picture of Jesus Christ and His relationship to His bride. They may not realize that, they may not care about that, but it does not exempt them from being culpable of falling short. Please hear that. I mean, I'd even say as a believer, think about this as a believer. What were you thinking about, man, when you got married? Were you thinking about, yes, I get to glorify God through how I give myself up for my bride for the rest of my life? No, brother. I know what you were thinking. I'm a man. And wife, let me ask you, even believers, were you thinking, man, I get to submit to this joker for the rest of my life and in doing so glorify the church? This is going to be awesome. Yes. You weren't thinking about that. You didn't have a thought about glorifying Christ through submitting to this knucklehead that you married. I tell, I've told people before, I, I've told y'all in here, I quote Jeremiah 10, 14 is one of the most common passages I quote in my household. It says, all men are stupid, devoid of knowledge. That's in the Bible. I do something dumb, and Karen's looking at me like, what did I marry? And I say, Jeremiah, I'm just living up to Jeremiah 10, 14, babe. Serving the Lord, doing my part. We weren't thinking about that. We weren't thinking about glorifying God. We weren't thinking about a being, oh, great, I get to play out the gospel through my life. No, we were ignorant. We weren't thinking about that. But it doesn't exempt us. That's our fault for not knowing what we're getting involved in. That's, our, that's me as a pastor's fault for not helping people understand when they get married what they're doing. And whether a couple realizes it or not, their marriage is meant by its very design to display God's love for His people. To display Christ's love for His bride. You know, God's purposes, they don't just stand for believers. I mean, believer or not, the ceremony looked very much similar. You walk down an aisle, families on either side, exchange some vows... The blessing of giving, somebody had the blessing of giving that woman up, maybe? Believer, non-believer alike. Please hear this. I mean, again, it, 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 God's purposes and, 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 that, and, and the reasons for designing marriage, they don't only apply to believers. His truth doesn't only apply to believers. His commands don't only apply to believers. Is lying only wrong for a believer? Do you get to lie all you want until you become a believer and now it becomes a sin? You don't get to commit all the adultery you want, and then, oh, I became a believer, now i got to cut that out. You know, hey, all my vows that I took as a non-believer, break them, doesn't matter. But then when you become a believer, all of a sudden vows matter? That's not the case. They, they apply to non-believer and believer alike. God, God's laws, His standards, what He desires, are set. And, and, and the reality is Romans 3.23 says that's what makes sin sin. It's falling short of the glory of God. See, sin is sin. Why? Because it falls short of the glory 
of God. That's what Romans 3.23 tells us, the definition of sin, period. It's not believer. or it, Sin is sin, believer, non-believer. When Jesus addresses the Pharisees, and we'll get there in Matthew 5, Matthew 19, and they come to him and say, hey, is it lawful to get divorced? He doesn't say, well, are you a believer or non-believer? He simply goes into, hey, here's what God's Word says. He, he doesn't give two standards, one for the believer, one for the not-believer. One who's following, one for not following. The reality is the ones who were quizzing him were not believers. They're Pharisees. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to say the wrong thing to break the law so they can crucify him. And what does Jesus do? He takes them back, believer, non-believer alike, he takes them back to the original intention of marriage. And that's what I'm trying to do today. Let's not get caught up on loopholes on whether we can or can't. Let's go back to the original intent of marriage first. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Why? Because that's how Jesus Christ loves His people. Why? Because that's how Jesus Christ loves His bride. And, and, and the reality is, if you're astounded by that, if you're astounded, if, if that doesn't settle well with you, well, you're in good company. Because listen to this, listen to this. I, I'm going to read it for you, Matthew 19. And some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's design. That's the design. They said to him, Why did Moses command her to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted. Moses never commanded. He permitted. Because of hardness of heart. You to divorce your wives. Listen. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. See, what did Jesus do? He took them back to creation. He took them back to the original intent. Don't get caught up on all these other things. Let's go back to the original intent for marriage. And I say to you, whoever divorces a wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Listen to this, verse 10. This is where I was getting to. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. You see, what Jesus just said to them was shocking. The, the standard that Jesus set for marriage was so high, the disciples' reaction was, better not to marry. Here, here's what Jesus is saying. When Chris Basham married Karen Amorati, he took a huge risk. When Karen Emirati married Chris Basham, she took an even greater risk. Why? I don't know what Karen's going to be like tomorrow. I don't know what Karen's going to be like next week. I, I didn't know what the future held when I married Karen. I, I didn't know. To be honest with you, I, didn't, I don't even know if I knew all of this. I just knew there was this girl that for some reason God's gracious enough to 
allow somebody to like me, not even like me, love me. And I was like, whoa, this ain't going to happen very often. I better, ride, I better connect myself to that one. Huge risk. Huge risk when we got married. Same with you. You took a huge risk. You didn't know the person you married. You knew them, but you didn't know them as well as you do today. Some of you are thinking, if I only knew what I knew today. Huge risk. And, and not, not to be silly because, because God is sovereign and knows all and all that. But in that sense, God took a risk in putting His Son on that cross, didn't He? Took a, on a, from an earthly standpoint, obviously He knows the future, the past, everything like now. It's not a risk in His eyes, but in a sense. Marriage is a big deal. And the disciples got it. They said, hey, if that's the case, man, this is big time stuff. The conclusion is better not to marry. My point is this. Even though someone might not know it, all marriages, all marriages are meant, all marriages, that's your fill-in, are meant to display God's covenant-keeping love for His bride, the church. And it goes back to design, just like in Matthew 19. It goes back to the design. Let's start with the design. Let's not get caught up in, you know, sin and its effects and all this other stuff that, that, that's, that's argued. Let's go back to design. And again, Jesus answers their questions by doing what? He takes them back to the design. Let's not get caught up in, all, caught up in the particulars. We, we live in a culture that has been impacted by sin, that has been hurt by sin, that, that it becomes almost impossible because of that to accept these truths. To think, to even, not even to accept them, but just to think they'd even be true. Why? Because we live in a society that is hugely marred by sin. I stand here before you as a guy who shamedly has caused my wife to cry far too many times. Have hurt my wife far too many times. Have, have fallen short of giving myself up for her, which was the design of my role, far too many times. Who have pursued Chris, who has pursued Chris's interests, who have done things that were best for Chris, far too many times. And it's only by God's grace that Karen has stuck it out with me. And, and the world we live in, it is hard to fathom the goodness of God that He gave us something good in marriage with His purposes and His intent and what He calls us to because of the hurt that we see in marriage. It becomes almost impossible you think about Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You notice it didn't say he who finds a husband finds a good thing. It's hard to fathom that because of the hurt. My capacity for hurting Karen is huge. Her capacity for hurting me is less huge. She's not in here. Let her know I said that. Less huge, but it's huge. And we are playing out a parable publicly. I am playing out a parable publicly. I am telling the world something about Jesus Christ and how I care and love Karen. 
Karen is telling the world something about Jesus Christ's bride, the church, and how she follows me. But it's the same for your marriages. By design. God did that by design. In His infinite wisdom, He created something that you and I would have the opportunity every single day of our lives to tell the world about the greatness of God. And it's how I love Karen. It's how she follows me. When people look at our marriages, built-in testimony. What's going on here? Well, let me tell you. Jesus Christ gave Himself up for me. Therefore, I'm giving myself up for Karen. Karen says, hey, Jesus Christ is a wonderful leader to me. I follow Him. Therefore, He's told me to follow Chris. It's a parable. It's a picture. And here's my caution for us. We better be careful how we play that out accurately. We got to be careful not to misplay it. We got to be careful not to misportray the gospel in how we handle our married lives. We, we, we better be careful what we tell the world about the gospel through our marriages. That's the danger. That's also the responsibility. That, that's why I will always have a very, very high standard of marriage because the stakes are high. That, that is why I will be quick. I will tell you, your pastor, I will be quick to set aside the responsibilities of this church to pursue my wife. Why? Because if that falls apart, I got no church. That's my primary responsibility. I will shepherd you to the best of my ability, but not at the loss of my wife. And same for you. Now, then, now she can become an idol, and I can do that inappropriately, but I, I hope to know the difference. But here's my point. The costs of not obeying this are high. The costs of not submitting ourselves to this are high. So not only, not only the marriage. What is marriage? It's a parable. Marriage is a parable. It is a picture of Jesus Christ and His relationship with the church. Who designed marriage? As we said... Who designed something changes everything. You know, you look at a building that you look at a painting that I painted and it's garbage. But you look at a painting and you put Da Vinci on it, it looks just like the one I painted, but Da Vinci signed it $10 million. I'm like, well, what's wrong with Basham? Who designed it? Who designed it? You know, ladies, you can go to you can go somewhere and, and you can go to Walmart and get a purse, but if you go to Walmart and that just says Walmart on it. You pay 20 bucks, but you go to somewhere and you get the same purse and it says coach on it. Then it's $300. Why? Mr. Coach designed it. You know, you put a label on a shirt, $10. You put a different label on the shirt, all of a sudden it's $100. Why? Calvin Klein designed it. Got to pay more for Calvin. Design. Who designed something matters. And, and foundationally, that's the fill-in, foundationally, we got to understand, marriage is God's doing. He is the designer. It, we have to see that right off the bat. As such, marriage has to be valued greatly. Marriage gets its value because of who designed it and what it's portraying. Look with me at Genesis 1. All the way back to the beginning. Jesus felt it good to... Necessary. Let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. One man, one woman in the image of God. Their, their, their job was to be God's representations all over the earth. That's what it means there, in, make man in our image. We bear some of his characteristics, but mainly we are representative rulers. Everywhere we go, we bear the image of Christ. We, are to, we, are, we, are, we must realize we are his representative. We represent him every day, every moment of everything. We're a representation. We bear his markings. Look at Genesis 2.18. You, you, on, on, in Genesis 1, you get the, the seven days of creation. Genesis 2 is really an expanse of the sixth day. And Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, listen to this, Then the Lord God said, who, who initiates this? God initiates this. Adam don't come to God and say, Man, I'm alone. Can you fix me something? No, God initiated this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God did this. God set out to put this parable in motion, to start the parable, to solve the problem by creating Adam a helper. And God did it purposefully. He did it intentionally. He initiated this. God gave Adam a wife on purpose. This design was purposeful. God initiated. Then look at verse 22. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now put yourself in that Adam's shoes for a second. He has just saw that all the, Adam, all the animals had something suitable. He had nothing. God takes the initiative and then God fashions a woman and brings him to Adam. Look at verse 23. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. <coughs> Literally what Adam says there, you don't catch it in the English, but he just took an oath. That's an oath. A vow. Look at verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, that word joined literally means glued, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And you, you see so many truths here. Number one, God himself, how many ladies in here, just for record, how many ladies in here, either your father or somebody else gave you away at your wedding day? Just show of hands. Okay, why, why do we do that at weddings? Because God, God himself gave away the first bride. It's a picture. God gave away. God gave away the first bride. God brought the woman to the man and said, here, here she is. She's yours now. She's your responsibility now. June 28, 2003, Frank Camerati, tears in his eyes, walked down that aisle and took Karen's hand and put it in mine and said, hey, she's yours. Take care of her. God did that. You don't, you don't realize it, but look, God did that. We, we also see that God spoke the design. We've seen that, the design of marriage into existence. One man, one woman, leave parents, cleave. That doesn't mean you write off your parents. What that means is now you're one flesh. 
that you have a responsibility, an oath to take care of this woman, just like your parents have taken care of you. You're, you're hers. She's now your part of you. That's what he says in Genesis 2.24. That's exactly what Matthew quoted in Matthew 19. Moses said that. But guess what? Who inspired Moses? God. You, you saw in Matthew, I read it. He, he quotes exactly. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, what? Let no man separate, he says. Jesus quotes this passage right here from Genesis. He takes them back all the way to the original intent. These are God's words. But we also see here that God himself performs the one flesh union. Who joins them? God does. Who joined them together? God did. This is the union that lies at the heart, the very core, the very nature of your marriage is, is, is this one flesh union. The two will become one flesh. Karen Emirati, Chris Basham join together to become Chris and Karen Basham. Never again is there Karen Emirati. Never again is there Chris Basham. Forever and ever it's Adam and Eve. Forever and ever it's Chris and Karen. One flesh. One flesh. And marriage is, he says in verse 6 of Matthew, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Why? Because it's not your doing. You didn't join it, you don't get to, to, to break it. It's not your doing. God did this. It's not about us. It, it represents something so much bigger than just us, and that is by design. I mean, even in the roles that we play, I, I play the role of Christ, Karen plays the role of the church. God was so wise and, and infinitely wise in how He designed this. Everything about marriage, here's the point, everything about marriage points to something greater. And ultimately, it's Christ's relationship to His bride, the church. And when we start messing with marriage, we're messing with sacred ground. We are treading on sacred ground. Sin did not destroy marriage. Sin only made it difficult. It made it more difficult. The, the roles didn't come about because of sin. They just made the roles more difficult. And, and this is going to shock us. We, we, we live in a world that if we asked, who's the main character? That's probably not the best word. Who's the main actor in a marriage? You know what the world is going to say? The bride. Everybody's looking at the bride. Don't nobody care what Chris is wearing. At our wedding, don't nobody even remember what I was wearing. They don't remember what Karen was wearing. I, I could have disappeared. They're all, what are they all looking at the back. They care about Karen. And in, in today's world, again, the bride is the main actor. But guess what? The main actor in marriage is God. The main actor, the main person, the main player, the main component of your marriage, of every marriage, is God. He's the one ultimately doing the joining. And that's why it cannot be treated casually. God joins us. And again, Matthew quotes Moses, who gets inspired from God, what God has joined together, what God has joined together. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. And I hope you see in these first two points, marriage is all about the gospel. Just like everything else that we've seen all throughout these two years, we've got to take it back to the gospel. It's not what best suits Chris. It's what best suits the gospel. It's not what best represents Chris and my happiness. It's what best represents the gospel. 
And marriage is a picture of the glory and grace of God towards a lost, undeserving world. That's the gospel. An undeserving world. When I love Karen and she's not deserving, what a great picture of the gospel. More often than not, when Karen loves me and I'm deserving, what a great picture of the gospel. The, the moment I replace the gospel with my happiness, my security, my fulfillment, or anything else, the whole thing breaks down. What we read here makes no sense if the gospel is not at the center of your marriage. If your marriage does not exist to make much of Christ, what, what we're commanded to do with regards to marriage will not make sense. Why? Because I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want it to be about me, and it's not. So, so application. Let's stop here. Application. Here's the question. How clear of a picture... Here's the question I want you to contemplate. How clear of a picture... Is your marriage portraying to the world right now about the gospel? How clear of a picture? Have I in any ways fallen short? And hear me, hear me, hear me loud and clear. This goes way beyond, way beyond simply whether you're breaking up a marriage or not. Let me tell you, the convicting thing, the challenging thing is... For me to be a lazy spouse but not leave is falling short of the glory of God. Hear me? Christ is not a lazy Savior. For, for me to pursue Karen only when she deserves it is an inaccurate picture. Sin falls short. Why? Because Christ doesn't love me only when I deserve it. There's so many ways that we can fall short of God's glory here. Please hear me say that. I'm not picking on one sin or the other. I'm simply holding up the standard of marriage, what we're called to do. And hear me, if, if the Holy Spirit leads you to believe and leads you to the reality that you've fallen short of the glory of God through whatever means possible in your marriage, I encourage you to repent. Repent. It, 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 maybe, maybe you were casual about divorce in the past. Repent. Maybe you've been casual with regards to your vows in the present. Repent. Purpose not to let it happen again. That's what I would tell you. Sitting right here today, repent and purpose for it not to happen again. That, that would be the gospel. Hey, forgetting what lies behind and pressing toward lies ahead. Repent and don't let it happen again. If, 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 if there are things, what's done in the, what's in the past is done. I can't do anything about that. You can't. Repent and move forward and don't let it happen again. I, I think about what Jesus said to the, to the, in John 5 when he says to the man, pick up your mat. He says, go and sin no more. That's what I would tell you. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. There, let me tell you, there is grace to be found wherever you are today. However you got right here, there's grace to be found. I'm not cheapening grace. I'm not going, saying go sin and just claim grace. That would be a tragedy. Romans 6 says, by no means. What I am telling you is however you've got here and wherever you find yourself, there's grace. Call upon God for His grace. Every single person in this church is a sinner. You hear me? Every single person in this church. Most of our sin looks the same. Some of us have done some things that maybe we shouldn't have, that others haven't. But we're all sinners. We all need God's grace. 
We all need to fall upon God for His grace and His forgiveness. And, and there is a tremendous tendency, and here, 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 there's a tremendous tendency when we're challenged and we possibly see sin for what it is, or we realize that we have sinned, to run away from God. And here's what I'm telling you, run to God with your sin. 1 John 2, 1 says, I write these things to you children so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. You run to God with your sin and have it forgiven. Don't run from God. I, I'm, not, I'm not challenging us with the word of God so that you'll run from God. I'm challenging us week after week so that we will run to God with our sin and have it forgiven. Because there's grace, and that's beauty. That's part of the beauty of the cross is there is grace. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Satan wants us to feel discarded and beyond being used. He wants us to feel unredeemable. He wants us to feel like losers, and God's grace trumps that and says, you are not. The cross says you can be forgiven. Go and sin no more. Wherever our sin is great, hear me, God's grace is greater. Wherever your sin is great, God's grace, God's grace is greater. No, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've come through, there's room at the cross. And this church is full, full. This is not a popular thing to say, but it's the truth. This church is full of messed up, ruined people in the world's eyes who God is doing something great through. All to His glory. There ain't nobody in here more surprised than I am to be standing right here. That's the reality of the church. A bunch of sinners who have no reason to care for one another except for the grace of God. And if you knew my sin, you would be amazed that I'm standing here today. And yet that's just how great God is. And I remind you of Romans 5.20 where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Whatever, whatever God is dealing with us with, repent, be forgiven, and sin no more. Purpose never to do it again, whatever it is. Forget the past, press on to what lies ahead. Lord, first and foremost, I, I would pray if anyone in here is